I'm Lindsay Barra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with big man Bradley Bozeman of the Baltimore Ravens, a guard on the NFL's top rushing offensive line. At six foot five, 330 pounds, Bozeman can push some serious weight and pack in some serious calories. You'll be stunned by what he eats before and after games and pleasantly surprised by how his focus on food intake has led him and his wife, Nikki, a former college athlete herself, to focus on food security for kids. You may remember Bradley proposing to Nikki on the field after Alabama beat Georgia in overtime in the 2018 College Football National Championship. Now they're together in suburban Baltimore, gearing up for Bradley's fourth season in the NFL. Hey, Bradley and Nikki, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? I am just peachy here in uh, freezing New Jersey. Hope the sun's out in Baltimore. Yes, it is. It's 35, but the sun's out. and It's pretty nice, actually. There you go. I think we're turning a corner here. Bradley, you had mentioned that you eat 6,500 calories per day to keep your weight at around 330 pounds. Can you just walk me through what that looks like in a day of meals and snacks? Yeah. So in the morning I'll, uh, I'll wake up, I'll have, you know, a couple eggs and some kind of some other protein source, maybe some grits, whatever it may be till about 1030, have a snack of whether it's a fruit or something in the fridge, uh, lunch, have a uh, protein, chicken, steak, whatever it may be. And then uh, a good thing of rice and some vegetables, uh, nighttime, usually a, a decent sized meal where it's, you know, an, again, another protein and then I'll stick more to vegetables at night. And then before bed, I'll do a, a big shake, a big casein, yeah, casein protein, uh, protein shake before we go to bed, then wake up and do it again the next day. So what do you feel is the benefit for you of adding in the protein shakes? I just feel like, especially overnight, the biggest thing is just having your body having that constant burn and that casein is more of a slowing breaking down as you sleep and throughout and just feeling your body wake up the next morning. I always feel refreshed. I always sleep very well on a full stomach. So I feel like that's the biggest advantage for me. If you go a couple of days, say like you're on vacation, you're not eating as great and you don't eat the protein shakes, do you feel a difference? Not a ton. It's just usually at nighttime. You can always tell when you fall off your diet, but you know, with the protein shakes, it's, it's not too bad because you kind of find supplements and things that you can substitute for that. Do you guys have a go-to protein shake recipe? Uh, yeah, I do. It's a chocolate, I think it's EAS protein with PB2, Juven, creatine, milk, ice, and sometimes a banana I'll throw in there. But that's usually my go-to. And chocolate peanut butter seems to be like the ubiquitous, everybody's favorite flavor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I feel like it's easy to mask the protein if it's chocolate. You know, sometimes vanilla proteins are so chalky. Yeah, they can be kind of, and the vanilla, I feel like you have to add a lot of fruit too, to make it taste good. And then you're not, you're just adding more sugar right. and calories. And I just, for, my, for my nighttime though, for the casein one, I have a, uh, it's muscle milk. It's a caramel. Or, anyways, it's really good. Like if you do the casein, like it's really, it's chalky, but it's really tasteful. And it doesn't eating that close before bed doesn't wake you up. No, it actually puts me like, it makes me more tired. Like I'll, I'll just be laying around and, you know, have a full belly and just be ready to pass out. But <laughs> Food coma. Right. Do you have, aside from your protein, do you have any like go-to supplements that you take all the time? I do creatine, uh, fish oils, multivitamins, 
you have to be super careful. That's yeah. what, so in the league, you, certain supplements, it's called tainted, but they're not necessarily tainted. It's just that you can get flagged for performance enhancing drugs if you take certain supplements. So it's very, very strict and regimented what you can and can't take as far as even like down to the brand. That's why he's like trying to think, because you have to be super cautious of what you can and can't take because the, you get drug tested at any point for, they're called PEDs for PEDs. And I think first offense is like a four game suspension or something. It's like super strict. So even if you like not, or you're not even thinking about it, not even trying, we've had a lot of friends, they've just taken supplements that they thought were fine and then got pop for a PED and then you're out four games. So it's just crazy. So, but yeah, a lot of the, the, what is the sticker on it? There's a little sticker on the bottom that anything that has that on it is like uh, certified to be able to take. So you, you creatine and fish oil are pretty regular for you. What do you feel you get from those two? Uh, the creatine is just that more endurance based. I mean, I feel like I have more endurance when I'm taking it. I feel like there's just more left in your tank. And then the fish oils is more of a, a joint-based lubricant. <laughs> there it goes. For me, that, that I feel like helps me a lot. So you guys traveled around the country in an RV for a while, and now you're in a house. Have your eating habits changed at all since you went from RV kitchen to house kitchen? Absolutely. You know, the RV kitchen, we had a, we brought in a Brevel, like convection oven into the RV kitchen, which made it a lot easier. But it's still tough because you're in such tight quarters. I mean, you have what seven foot by four foot of a kitchen not even that really yeah. it's probably smaller than that and you can't cook together you can't clean together it makes it really tough in rv so we once we moved into the house the cooking and eating habits got a lot better so it was really good and it was kind of the back end of the season usually in the back end we kind of fall off the wagon a little bit uh, we go out to eat more you know we don't eat as healthy as we should during be. the holidays i'm yeah. tired he's tired and so you know when we came into the house it was January. Um, so it was kind of the perfect time to like start back on that, that kickback of the healthy eating and, you know, really monitoring what we're putting into our bodies. So. Now that you're in this kind of off season routine, how does your workout schedule change from the regular season? So before we were, um, you know, when we in the season, we kind of take a little break off because it's such a long and grueling season that your body needs a little time to recover. So we go, we visit, we, you know, we went and saw her family, saw my family, didn't get to see them this year because of COVID, but uh, got to go down there and spend about two weeks with them. And then, so we're back now and we're kind of starting our, our workouts back and getting back on the wagon, starting to really, you know, dive into it, you know, our, our healthy eating and things like that. And my workouts for the first couple of weeks are kind of, you know, body weight, uh, movement based, but nothing really, super enduring and I'll throw some cardio in there on, on her bike or the rower or whatever it may be. And then we'll kind of, after about three or four weeks, I'll kind of jump up and get back into the heavy lifting and all the squats and all the benching and all the just heavy weight space of it. But yeah. And then once OTA start, then we're back into the full swing of it again in April. When you say you take four weeks off to let your body heal, is that four weeks of absolutely nothing? Like not really working out. We'll say active. We'll go play golf. We'll go hiking. We'll do like, we'll say active, but we won't be doing workouts. If that makes sense. Uh, Nikki, do you take that four weeks off as well? I did this year. It's just like hit or miss. Like sometimes I try, cause like, obviously I haven't been playing. So I try to like work out in that period, but that's usually our vacation time. So it's like, 
you know, you don't really want to work out on vacation. So it just depends. So this year I didn't much, but some years I do. You obviously had a whole career of athletics. And then when you graduated from college, that changed. How much have you tried to kind of keep that? I'm an athlete schedule and how much have you let it slip away? So it was really easy at the beginning to kind of keep that regimen. And then it kind of fell off when I started working full time. And then it kind of came back. It just like goes in spurts. Like I feel like like right now we're back in like the healthy eating kick swing of things. So I'm very like motivated and determined. So I feel like that portion of it never changes. Like the being motivated and being determined to like lose weight or whatever, get healthier doesn't change. So I feel like those aspects stay the same. But as far as like the workouts, they're probably a little different because I'm getting a little old. <laughs> a little old. I What are you, 25? <laughs> yeah. Well, 27, my bones are going on 40. <laughs> I'm 43. My bones must be going on 60. <laughs> I feel like college adds at least 10 years to my life. So you said that you got a bike. What kind of workouts do you do? Do you lift a lot with Brad as well? So on the bike, there's like cross training. So I do a lot of like floor exercises with lifting. It's not really the same. His movements are really specialized to his sport. So there are a lot of like shoulder and there's a lot of things like that I really don't do so we kind of work out separately and Brad are these are you doing these workouts at the house yes yeah we have a small little weight room here that we have equipment to kind of do our own little thing here we try to stay out of the facility just for a different scenery that way when we do get back in the facility it, it's full go you don't get burnt out you know you're ready to, to really rip and roar but yeah we have everything here at the house that we need to get our workouts in so what are your favorite workouts or exercises? Like, do you love to squat or love to push sleds? I really do. I enjoy pushing heavy sleds. That's one of my more fun activities for me. Uh, we have a sled in the garage. It's kinetic resistance. Uh, when you add weights, she'll stand on it sometimes and I'll push it. You know, we do whatever we got to do to make it work. But yeah, that's one of my more favorite. But I really like the isolated single leg stuff because that's kind of where I struggle is my balance, my single legs. So I love working those because I know like even as frustrating as it is, you know, you're trying to get down to movement, you're trying to get down to workout. I know in the long run, it's going to help me out. So I was actually going to ask you if there's any exercises that you love to hate, like the ones that you absolutely hate doing, but you know, you need it. So that single leg might fall under that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Is there one in particular? What's your favorite single leg exercise? So I do like a lot of ankle stability. So I have a pad, I'll put it down on the ground, I'll step on the pad and put three cones out. So it'll be one here, here, and here, and then I'll take a tennis ball and I'll go down with my left hand, I'll be on one leg, go down, put the tennis ball on top, come up, go down and grab it, come up, put it on the middle, come up, like, and just go back and forth until basically it's a burnout. But it's really tough on me just because of the ankle stability. And, but I know in the long run, it's going to help me out a lot. Which leg's the better leg? Right leg's definitely the better leg. So <laughs> <laughs> so when you get on the left leg, you're like, come on, left leg. Yeah, you always start on the weak leg. You know, that way when you get to the right leg, you're kind of finishing strong. But what do you have like set football goals for yourself in 2021? Yeah. I mean, like always, we want to win the Super Bowl. We want to be a pro bowler. We want to be an all pro. We want to be, you know, the top of the we want to prove that we're we belong to be here. But we want to start, obviously, you know, that's the first goal. You know, we just want to continue to strive for greatness. And that's really it, you know, just to put together some really good football film and just continue to grow year after year. Do you have individual goals? Yeah, Pro Bowl, All Pro, you know, that would be pretty sweet. And then, you know, we were nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year this year. 
obviously it would be great to be nominated for that again to prove awesome. ourselves in the community and prove that we deserve to represent the Ravens. I read something that you might be seeing a potential shift from left guard to center in 2021. Is that impacting your training or thought processes at all? That's always a thing for us. You know, interior guys, you got to be able to play guard and center on both sides. So, uh, you know, we, we always train for that, that option. There's always that option there. We'll be ready if that does happen, but if not, you know, we're good with guard. So, you know, we just continue to train and continue to put things together and just continue to grow as a football player. As you get into the season, do you continue cooking most of your meals for yourself? Are you eating a lot more with the team? How does your diet change during the season? Oh, we still cook a lot of the house, especially early season. You know, we're kind of still working in, like we said, it falls off when it gets around the holidays sometimes, but we'll pick it back up. And some years are better than the others, but <laughs> like everyone, but yeah, we cook a lot of the house. We eat a lot together. I don't really eat that much at the facility. I'll eat breakfast and lunch there, but at dinner, I'll spend it with, with Nikki because I feel like we need to be sharing meals together also. So not with just my teammates, but yeah, so yeah, we eat a lot of the house, but also eat two times a day at the facility. What's your go-to pre-game meal? Uh, <laughs> so not I mean, healthy. It, not healthy. <laughs> it's two four-ounce fillet steaks. I think of just regular spaghetti noodles with salt on it. No marinara. What else? A baked potato with is it mac and cheese? There? No, not mac and cheese is in there. Baked potato with sour cream and butter and cheese. What else is in there? This and is then, before the game. Yeah, this is before the game. And then I always I always finish it with a cream cheese, with a bagel with cream cheese on it. Don't you eat the whole Sunday, or is that the night before? That's yeah. the night before. Oh, I was going to say he's leaving on you the you massive always, ice cream Sunday. It's not massive anymore. It used to be massive. But the night before the game, like, we always get pasta and, like, a, some kind of ice cream. It used to be this big bowl of ice cream, and now it's kind of gotten to, like, more here, so. I realized I was burning out during the games when I was eating that big, <laughs> big Sunday before the game. So we backed off the ice cream a little bit. When did that ice cream tradition start? Was that at Alabama? Yeah, that's that's always been a thing since since college. I always did a big ice cream before the games and kind of brought it to the league with me. And it's worked so far. So <laughs> we just it's, had to get down the portions. Does your uh, protein shake taste transfer to ice cream? Do you like chocolate and peanut butter there as well? I do. I do. I enjoy I, But I'm a big vanilla guy. Like, I just the basic vanilla. That's crazy. I wouldn't think that you would eat the ice cream before the game. Nikki, do you participate in that tradition as well? So pre-COVID, we used to go to this place in the city. So Saturdays, I drop him off at the hotel at like four. He goes to meetings and then they get out at 630. So I pick him up from meetings at the hotel downtown and then we go to this Italian place that we go to like every day before the games. And it was just like tradition. It's called Sabantino's. It's so good. And then we used to go over to Vicario's, which is like a huge Italian ice cream shop. And the Sundays are like massive. So first year I did participate in all of this shenanigans, but I wasn't the one that was working out on Sunday. I was just like watching. And also I think first year I was training for a marathon. So it really wasn't conducive to be together. So I kind of stopped doing that. I started getting like a latte instead of, you know, a full ice cream. So you kind of like your cheat meals are actually sort of around your games and then you clean it up for the rest of the week. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of how it goes. You know, it's kind of sort of carb load, I guess. But yeah, it's that we just load up. I mean, because we're eating four hours, five hours before the game. So, you know, we're not going to eat it again for eight hours. So you got to have something to be able to sustain to hold you over. 
because I'm not a big eater during the game. So I'll eat like half a cliff bar if I can even stomach that. So, so we just got to make sure to have that. What do you drink during the game? Water or are you a sports drink guy? Water. I'm, I'm all water pretty much. And then what do you eat post-game? Uh, post-game is usually pizza. We usually do a large white pizza, pour it to the house and just hang out and relax. Again, you see why it's hard to diet in season with him. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, post-game, it's a white pizza. And yeah, and so we'll just sit and hang out and, and relax and maybe have a beer too, but. <laughs> and then the day after the game, is that usually a rest day for you? Yes, usually for us, it's our off day. You know, you go and you get treatment. You do your workout if you want to. You have to lift twice a week during the season. And you just kind of go from there. You know, we usually try to take the time at home. Um, I have a lot of recovery equipment at our house. Do the Normatex, do the heating pads, do all that. Because, I mean, you wake up the next day from an NFL game, especially in our division. I mean, you wake up, your shoulders are tied to your neck. I mean, it's a tough next morning the next day just to try to get back and get loosened back out, do a massage. You mentioned using the Normatec for recovery. Can you explain to listeners what the Normatec is, how you use it and what it does for you? Yeah. So the Normatec is just basically a flushing machine. So it's, you have these big legs that go on it connects to a pump that pumps the legs up in sections and it pushes the lactic acid out of your legs. It gives you a real good flush to have them for your shoulders, your arms, you know, where, wherever you really name it. But I love them for a good little flush, you know, throughout the week I, in the season. I'll do them every night for the most part. But, you know, it's just a good way to try to get your legs back up on you pretty quickly. So you're using the boots more than the sleeves? Yes, I use the boots more than anything. And is it the kind of thing where you like put them on for like 30 minutes and watch a television show? Yeah, I, I put them on for like an hour while I'm just relaxing at the house. So I, like I said, I was uh, internet stalking you guys a little bit and I read that you took down a 72 ounce steak at the big Texan steak ranch in Amarillo, which is, I guess, a thing. And then you have the t-shirt to prove it. So can you tell me that story? <laughs> yeah. So we were going to, uh, we were going cross country with our nonprofit, the Bradley and Dickie Bozeman Foundation. And we were going through Amarillo and we call into a local radio show here in Baltimore on a regular basis. And so we had called in, checking in, you know, talking about our tour, how it's been going. And then like you're going through Amarillo you got to do the state challenge like you have to do it it's like fine I'll do it I can't back down from a challenge so we walk in sit down it's like you know I think I'm going to try the state challenge he goes all right so he walked me up up on the stage and it's a four foot elevated stage it's a picnic table looking in front of the grill it's a big open grill where where you go in there's like Um, a camera feed for like a live camera feed And so they, they set me up right beside the grill. So it is so hot back there. They give you a pink cup. You know, they get up there and shout. It's like, he wants to try the, the big Texan. Let's see if we can do it. Cheer him on. Da, 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 da. So we bring up the steak. And the steak is literally this big. It's as wide as my chest. And it's about two and a half, three inches thick. So you sit down, you have one hour to eat it. It's that, a baked potato, three fried shrimp, a salad in a roll. And you have to eat it all in under an hour. So you just kind of start going at it. And I started off with a tactic of like taking big chunks. So I was just like pushing it down. Then I got probably a quarter way through the steak. Like, oh, that's not going to work. I would start cutting and they gave you a bowl of steak sauce about that big. So I was just dunking the steak sauce, just going. I got to a point where I was like, oh, this is, this is a lot. So I just started like cutting like really, really small slivers of the steak. I would cut, cut, cut and eat a little bit and then cut and eat. And it got to a point where like the steak sauce was like nauseating. So I got Nikki to go and get me some honey from the back. And uh, so I started using honey to kind of change it up. 
to eat it. And she came over, she's filming, you know, she's doing her Instagram lives and, you know, for our foundation. And I look up and I know I'm ghost white. I am about to just, I was like, get the camera off of me because was I, was, I was about to blow chunks. Like it was about to be bad. I was like, turn the camera off. And she's like, you're done. I'm like, no, but turn the camera off. Cause if I'm right here, I do not want no camera. And uh, so finally get through it. It took me 47 minutes to complete it. And it was the toughest food challenge I've ever done for sure. So when you finish this, are you like proud of yourself? Or are you like, man, that was a bad idea. Uh, I was proud of myself. That's for dessert. He's no. like, get some peach cobbler. Well, uh, carrot cake. Carrot cake. Carrot cake. I'm like, this. you're crazy. So, Did yeah. you rest between? Like, like 15 minutes. Oh right. my goodness. So before that, what was the best food challenge you'd done before that? So back home, they had like this, they used to, the restaurant closed down now. But it <laughs> because was, he ate it out of business. <laughs> and they had this big, it was a grilled cheese. It was a grilled cheese on the bottom two patties, four pieces of bacon, lettuce, tomato, another grilled cheese, and then do the same thing on the top side. So it was this big sandwich like this. And that was... I watched my friends do the saltine challenge and I'm like, <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't know how you do this, but it's just totally crazy. So you're saying before that your favorite cheat meal is a pasta. You have a go-to pasta that you're always up for? This kind of pasta in general, I love pasta. A place that Nikki was talking about, Sabatino's, they have a gnocchi. They have the best gnocchi I've ever had. Mm. Um, so go down there and get baked gnocchi with uh, do Alfredo or marinara and then add meatballs to it. And it is just, it is unreal. You guys are from Alabama. You don't eat the Southern food. Not really. I mean, his mom cooks so good. It's like hard to do that, you know? Unless like he's cooking, it's hard to like, replicate that so we just kind of don't touch it we'll invite friends over every now and then give them a little taste we'll do like fried pork chops or chicken or cube steak or whatever it is and collards and corn and green beans squash and onions i mean we'll do we'll, do, we'll throw down on some southern food but for the most part we, we love pasta so so you guys did you grow up eating all that southern food i did i i mean i there was many sundays i laid stretched out on the kitchen floor being so full from eating mom's cooking but yeah that that's how I grew up so when you got into college did they ever address your diet and tell you that you needed to start eating healthier or did it not matter because you were aligned and it was okay to be big well I already kind of knew coming in we had a nutritionist at, at Alabama and I knew what I needed to eat I knew I couldn't eat that all the time and you know I knew I had to die I knew I had to regulate what I took in and you know where my weight was and so on and so forth but yeah they do a good job at Alabama getting you on the right supplements getting you on down the right track and as long as they can see that you're trying to manage your weight they kind of stay hands off but as soon as they figure out it's like okay this guy has a problem or he can't has no self-control or whatever it is that's when they'll step in like okay this is what you're eating you're mandatory you know we're overwatching for breakfast lunch and dinner so I mean they'll take it that far if they need to but for the most part it's on the player during your senior year at Alabama, we talked about this. You dropped 40 pounds heading into your pro day. You landed at 297. How did you do that? And how did you feel on the field at that lower weight? So we do we do what we call the caveman diet. Um, it's just fruit, meats, fruits, and vegetables, and, you know, the protein shakes and protein bars, things like that. But basically, if the caveman couldn't eat it, we couldn't either. So we were, uh, we were doing all meats, fruits, and vegetables. We would meal prep the, every night before. So whatever we had for dinner, the 
previous night, we'd have for lunch the next day. Same deal with the shakes at night. You know, we were working out two times a day, going for, you know, four or five hour sessions. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was drinking two gallons of water. We had one cheat day and it was Valentine's Day. And so we both went to the store. I think I went to Dollar Tree and I got her a basket of candy, like a, a laundry basket full of candy <laughs> of anything and everything she possibly eat. And so we took it in, we gave it to each other, started eating. I ate maybe two candy bars and we go to the store, we're shopping, doing stuff. And I look at her, it's like, I think I have the flu. Like I'm like sweating, I'm shaking. Like I, it was, it was just from the candy bars. Like, cause we had been eating so clean that it completely messed us up. <laughs> you went into like total sugar shock. Uh, really, we were really getting after it. No cheat days, no no breaks. So we we, we really got after it for those two months. Uh, ended up dropping that that thirty six pounds and came in a little lighter than I thought I was going to. But you know that that's okay. So I just wanted to prove that uh, I had that range and flexibility to be able to to drop weight and to to play wherever I needed to play. How did you feel on the field at that lower weight? I felt faster for sure. You know, I was lighter. I was 40 pounds lighter. But I think the biggest advantage for me was when I came off that weight and I started building back because my natural playing weight is about 320. When I started building back, I changed all that baby fat and all of the excess bad weight and then turned that into muscle. And now I'm sitting at, you know, 330 and I'm 21% body fat instead of being 25 like I was in college. So it's funny, Nikki did show me the picture of you in college side by side with one of you during the last season and your weight really wasn't that much different, but your body percentage is considerably lower. So that was just a matter of eating the good food and continuing that habit. Yes, absolutely. That's what that was contested to, you know, just eating, eating the proper foods, not eating all your breads and all of your, your high carbs, but you know, we just, we just really, really work. We try to work out as best we can. We fall off the wagon every now and then, but for the most part, we try to stay good. So you keep saying Nikki is involved in all of your diet decisions. And when you're eating well, she's eating well. Is that, is that how it goes? Yes, usually it is. So it's really hard when one person's trying to lose weight and the other person's not. Because, uh, you know, you see the other person eating pasta and dessert, whatever it may be, you know, it, it just makes it tough. So it's easier to do it as a team for sure. Nikki, do you ever drive any of these decisions? Are you like, Bradley, we've been eating too much ice cream. We are not doing it anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like I'm more of the driver sometimes than he is, especially after the season when we go through like that two weeks of really not doing anything. And I'm always the one that's like, all right, we got to get back on the train. Like we got to start over that. We're like two weeks in right now. So I feel like I am a driver for that for sure. <laughs> Bradley, when you got down to that 297, did you ever consider staying at that weight? What was the biggest factor that made you decide you wanted to put the weight back on? So, you know, coming to the Ravens, I knew we were a run dominant team. I knew that to play guard, to be, to have a good opportunity to play at any of the positions, I need to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger because I, I know, I know my body and I know it, you know, 300 pounds. I'm, I don't have quite that edge that I do as in my style of play as I do it at 330. So I think that was the main reason for putting the weight back on and just, you know, just changing how the weight was structured more so than the actual amount of weight. <laughs> as you guys start to get back into these, you know, real, regimented off-season workouts. Brad, you mentioned getting back into heavy lifting. Can you give us an idea of how much you bench press and squat? So you're talking about maxes or? I want to know how often you do it. And I do want to know your maxes. 
So we do, you know, it's three days a week. Uh, Monday's usually uppers, uppers and back. Uh, Wednesdays is, is more of a core day, more of, you know, motor development day. You know, do some some back with, with that as well. And then Fridays is our, you know, heavy squat day, whether that's four, 450 or whatever it is when we get down to our bigger loads. But, you know, I, I was in college. I think I benched, what was it, 545. That was the last time I max was freshman year of, of college. 545 was my max then. And then 585 was my squat. So yeah, it was. Uh, that, I think that was the last time I max. Oh, seven years ago. Yeah. So, and as you've come into the NFL, those maxes have not been as important. Are you doing just more like for reps for sustainable weight? What's the the mindset with your lifting now? Yeah, I love squatting heavy for sure, especially during the season. I love you know keeping that that load on because I mean you're pushing around 350 pound defensive linemen that are exerting you know thousands of pounds of force back to you. So that that's definitely important to me when you're squatting that dead weight. I think now at my age and age of everyone around me, I think maxes are more of a pride thing rather than they are actually a performance thing. It's cool to, you know, bench 545 pounds, but if I tear my pec in the process, what did I really accomplish? So, you know, it's just about maintaining that strong physical, you know, muscles and and technique. So Nikki, what was it like for you getting to college? Did you grow up eating the Southern food and stuff in Alabama as well? No. So my mom is like super healthy. So we would always eat healthy. We would, she would like work out every, she works out every morning. Like she would kind of like peer pressure us into working out with her every morning. Like it was, that was how I grew up. So like, I didn't even know that you could like fry chicken at home. Like until we got together, I was like, he, he's like pouring oil into a pan. And I'm like, what are you cooking that has that much oil in it? He's like, I'm frying chicken. I was just so shocked. I didn't even know you could do that at home. So um, I grew up very healthy. We didn't really eat out much. She cooked super healthy. It wasn't really Southern cooking. My dad's Italian. So he cooked very Italian meals for holidays. But yeah, I mean, it was really, we, if we ate unhealthy, it was probably like homemade pasta. My grandmother would make raviolis or something like that. So getting to college and having the nutritionists from the basketball team kind of on you wasn't wasn't a big thing for you. Well, it was hard in college because I had been like at home was always so healthy. So then when you went to college and it was all this food that really wasn't healthy. And so it was a hard like balance because you had all this food you could eat. I'm like, oh, I can have pancakes every morning and, you know, cereals and all this kind of stuff. So it was harder because everything was buffet style in college. So you went into the dining halls and it was like all buffet style. So I would just eat until I was like so full. And then my freshman year, we didn't have a great coach. He got like fired after my freshman year. And so we only practiced for like 45 minutes and we like didn't really practice and I was eating a lot. So I gained like the freshman, like 30, I was really heavy. And then we got a new coach and we actually, like we would practice for three, four, five hours, like you're supposed to. It was a little bit of a culture shock at first, but then I started to like eat right and lose weight because they were really on me about like, hey, you have to have healthy weight versus just like weight. And so that's when my like dietary constraints kind of like changed for myself. It's funny. I played softball at University of North Carolina and I grew up with a mom like you who worked out every morning. And I remember on road trips, they would stop at like Golden Corral or Taco Bell for us. And I would be like, I can't eat that. 
my mother's gonna like if she finds out so i had a hard time adjusting like i would like bring snacks like i'd have like a bag of carrots in my bag when they would go into golden corral and i would get all nervous about about eating the mashed potatoes and stuff because it's just there's so much like moving around on vans and buses and there's only so many options when you're driving around in the south so kind of crazy so when did you guys meet um my summer of my freshman year sophomore year your sophomore my freshman summer after my sophomore year i don't know we've been together for so long <laughs> brad you're dating you're dating an older woman or yes. you're married to an yes. older woman yes, I am. <laughs> 13 months older and he reminds me yes for for one month out of the year she's two years older than me so i think it depends of that for sure mm -hmm. uh, but it was 20 it would be 20 2014 right we started well we started talking which started talking you know in college in beginning of 2014. 14, yeah. Yeah. 914. Yeah. And you're both athletes. Like, did you meet at like the gym? Well, I'll go ahead and tell this one. <laughs> so I'm good friends with this guy on our team, his offensive lineman, and he's about her age. We get on the bus, we're riding around, and we make this stop. And so this me, was summer school, so only really athletes are there. So me and him are on the bus and we're riding, we make a stop, pick her and another of her teammates or friends or something up on the bus. And my buddy Isaac goes, hey, this is Nikki. No, no, you left out the part of the story. What was it? So I was tutoring Isaac in econ because he had to pass econ this summer to play. So I, and I, I mean, econ came easy to me. So he, I'm like, no, you're not cheating. We're learning economics. Like that, we're not playing that game. So we had a big e-contest that day. So I get on the bus and I'm talking to Isaac about like all the macroeconomics, all this stuff. And he, you know, typical boy is like, oh, here's my friend. And I'm it like, was, it was, it was focus. like, it was like, hey, you can introduce me. And he was, yeah, hey, Nikki, this is Bradley. Bradley. And it's like, she's like, oh, hey, and just go, just and completely blows me off. Like completely <laughs> doesn't even acknowledge me. Just Well, because I was focused on Isaac passing his test. And then we met later in the dining hall. And he was like, oh, yeah, remember me? I met you on the bus. And I was like, nope, I'll remember <laughs> you. <laughs> but then we uh, hit it off. And then we <laughs> Can you just talk me through a little bit what made you guys start your foundation? Yeah, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. So originally we were asked to come to this or we were asked to do a video for this little girl because of her race she was being bullied she was smart she was athletic she was beautiful and the only reason she was being picked on was because of her race so we were asked to do a video so the school was just right down the road why don't we just come and talk to the girl and the kids that are bullying it's like we'll sit down we'll have a conversation and so we get there and the principal's like well hey we made a whole school assembly for you guys to talk and if you'd have known me at the time, I'm not a public speaker, like the typical, like sweaty hands, like stumbling over my words, the, the whole nine yards. But Nikki, on the other hand, is like, oh, yeah, sure. We'd love to do that. So she's looking at me like, you'll be fine. Like, we're going to go in there. We're going to talk. So we get in there and the emotions started rolling. The, I mean, just the kids opened up to us. Uh, Nikki and I got back into the car and we looked at each other. It's like, this is our purpose. This is what we're supposed to do. So in the month of April, we hit 26 schools in that month talking before the draft, before the draft talking about bullying. And from there, we stand into to what we do here. We did our cross-country trip. We started in Maryland, went down to Georgia, Alabama, across Texas to California, and then back over across to Maryland. 
talked to over 10,000 students. And to date, we've talked to over 100,000 kids about bullying through our journey. But when we got back, um, you know, COVID obviously shut us down right at the tail end. And from there, we were getting messages from kids saying, you know, school was the only place I had food. School was where I was getting all of my food from. This, this is the only meals that we get. And so we switched to food insecurity. And over the last four months, mm-hmm. we've done 1.2 million meals in those last four months. And it's been, it's been incredible to be able to, to really impact people's lives. Uh, in Maryland or in Baltimore, the food insecurity rate is 24% and the national average is 10.5. And wow. so, I mean, we're, we're double plus the food insecurity rate and to be able to try and help take that number down to really fight food insecurity where mom doesn't have to worry about, well, do I put food on the table or do I pay my power bills? Now we take that off the table and, you know, they have another set place where their food is coming from and they know that that there's going to be food on the table at the end of the day. As someone who eats, as we were saying, 6,500 calories a day where you're eating breakfast, a snack, lunch, a snack, dinner, a snack, a shake before bed, like how much of like a shocking sort of reality check is it to you that some of these kids are not even getting one meal a day? It is. Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy. You know, we're, I was actually thinking about that the other day. It's like thinking about how much we, we intake and we're the richest country in the world. And we have people that can't even afford one meal. It's just disheartening. And, you know, we, that's, that's what we're here to try to help. We're trying to improve that and try to, to start branching out and broadening our, our reach. Um, and so we're, we're just trying to, to help in any way we can. I also read on the internet that Bradley, you were bullied for being short and fat. And Nikki, you were bullied for being tall. Is this yeah, true? Opposites. He, what do you tell the kids? So I told the kids when we first start, it was like, when I was your guy's age, I like Augustus Glue from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was a complete teddy bear. I was big. I, I mean, in sixth grade, I was six foot tall, 260 pounds. And, you know, I was big. I was a teddy bear. You know, I didn't, didn't play football or I played football at the time, but it wasn't like a social status at that time. And I was lucky enough to be able to get into middle school and high school and kind of turn into the football player and kind of grow out of that pretty quickly. But people took advantage of that when I wasn't because I was a teddy bear. Like I didn't pick fights with anyone. I didn't fight anyone. I didn't, you know, I didn't have an aggressive bone in my body. But then I turned to football and football helped me kind of deal with all that. And then it turned it also turned into a status for me at the same time. So I was lucky enough to be able to grow out of that really quickly when some of these kids don't have that that luxury and opportunity. And Nikki, yeah. you were tall. Yeah, I was um like 5'10 almost in like the fifth grade. So I was just like so tall and I wore like a size 11 shoe. So, you know, finding clothes and shoes to fit a fifth grader that is really the size of more bigger than like the average woman was super difficult. So I, you know, got picked on for all my clothes, shoes, you know, height, obviously, So, yeah. And I mean, like, we just tell the kids, you know, our real authentic stories and what happened to us and like kind of ways to cope and also ways to like train yourself now to kind of be able to overcome that later. So a lot of like techniques and theories and all this stuff that we have that we do in our own life now that has kind of helped us get through it. It's amazing how much people can find to pick on people for, but the things that you guys were picked on, your height made you a successful Division One college basketball player, and your size made you an NFL offensive lineman. It's like sometimes you got to say to these kids, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Absolutely. And that's what we tell the kids all the time. We're like, you see the end product now. Like, you see that I made it to college and was all time starting leader in the top, whatever, five. And you see him in the 
NFL, you know, starting. And it looks all easy now, but like people don't see the road it took to get here. They don't see all the times that we were picked on on the bus or all the times I stayed till the gym at two in the morning because I wasn't invited to a party because they specifically didn't want to invite me. So just those things that we tell the kids, like people won't see your story behind the curtains, but they'll see your outcome. They'll see how you strive to be better and to be, and to use your quote unquote things people pick on as a strength. So a lot of that has been stuff that we've been uh, advocating to the kids. Nikki, you had mentioned that when you talk with kids about bullying, you share with them some techniques they can use to help overcome the bullying. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah. So in our assemblies, you know, we just give kids like advice. We talk about our personal experiences. We talk about some things to help them. We talk about finding something that you love, whether it's playing a sport, whether it's exercising, whether it's playing an instrument, cooking, songwriting, whatever that may be, find what you love to do and, you know, take 15 to 20 minutes every day to do it. And then when things are hard, you know, when you get a bad grade or when social media is tough, you do those things. And so you do what you love and then your brain automatically trains itself to say, okay, hey, I'm feeling this way. Like, let's go play basketball or like, let's go lift weights or let's play the guitar. So inherently, if you can do that now, then you will be able to self train your brain to say, okay, like, let's do whatever it is that I love because I'm not feeling so great right now. That's cool. And the kids are receptive to this. Yeah, they are there. We've had emails of kids that have said we're and we've been doing this about four years now. So there's kids that are actually on the other side of the hardships, which is really cool to see because they've kind of overcome it through things that we've been able to help them with. So um, yeah, so it's been really cool. When you are doing the food insecurity stuff, what kind of stuff are you giving the kids to eat? Do you talk to them about healthy eating or is it more just about getting them a meal? Yeah, so we actually have full prepackaged boxes. So they come with like gallons of milk and eggs and produce and bread and peanut butter and jelly and Nutri-Grain bars and all this stuff that they would basically need for a week's worth of food. So it feeds a family of four, three meals a day for a week. And so they drive through and they pop their trunk. We load their trunk with all their food and we close the trunk and then they drive off. So it's um, COVID safe. It's, you know, we package all the meals in a distribution area. So the, we've been able, that's how we've been able to serve so many people so quickly. And is it actually you guys physically doing that? How do you have a big staff? Yeah. So we have a staff that helps because to pack. Um, so we do 400 family boxes a week. So to pack 400 family boxes, it takes like nine to 10 hours just to pack the boxes, not to put the labels on, not to put the boxes together. So yeah, we have a crew that helps us do all that. A lot of volunteers helping that kind of process go along. His agents for football are very heavy with helping us in the community. And that's why we've just been so obsessed with them over the years is because as you've probably been aware of a lot of agents in uh, professional athletes, they just sign your contract and then they leave. They're just, you know, they're there to help you get through the legalities of everything and then they're gone. So ours are so different because they're there every day. I talk to them every day. We go through logistics of box packing and food distribution and they help us get grants for things. So they've been so instrumental in our success, you know, on and off the field. And on those days that you give out the food, you guys are present for that? So we weren't allowed to be present during the season. So we had a ban. We weren't allowed to go to restaurants. We weren't allowed to go to anything like 
because of COVID, obviously. Um, but prior to that, we made as many as we could. And then we have one next Tuesday that we'll obviously be at. So yeah, if we're allowed to go and able to go, we're, we're always there. I was going to say, it's got to be pretty satisfying putting that box in somebody's trunk. It is. And just getting the, you know, you don't really get to talk to them because we don't really interact with people because of COVID, but just the thank yous you see through the windows, the kids that are so excited sitting in the back seat, just handing them a pack of a box of Nutrigrain bars. And they're just like so excited. So it's all that little interaction that, um, you know, you don't realize how much you miss until you don't have it. I can't, I, like I was saying, as again, to have to eat 6,500 calories, as such a big dude and have such a good and healthy relationship with food. And then to find out that there's so many people that just can't, that's gotta be pretty sobering. How can the general public find your foundation on the internet and on social media? Yeah. So the name of the foundation is the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman foundation. Our website is bozemancharity.com. Um, and you'll find everything you need to know on the website. And then if you search the Bradley and Nikki Bozeman Foundation, all the social medias will come up. So those are two great ways to keep in touch. Um, if you have questions, we have a contact us, which comes to Bradley and I, and just kind of see everything that we have going on and just kind of keeping up with us. All right. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye, Bradley. Thank you so much to Bradley and Nikki for joining us today and be sure to follow Bozeman and the Ravens on their quest for Super Bowl 56. Next time on Food of the Gods, we talk with Arik Almarola, driver of the number 10 Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing. Almarola is known as one of the fittest drivers in the NASCAR Cup Series, and we'll talk with him about how he preps his body to endure extreme heat and G-forces while driving his car upwards of 200 miles per hour for hours at a time. Until then, for more information on Food of the Gods, or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. <laughs>